welcome to I Totally Get That, the podcast that keeps it real and gives unsolicited advice and opinions about relationships, dating, and life experiences. I'm your host, Natalie, and I'm so glad you're listening today. Most would probably describe me as a pretty reserved and quiet person, but I have a lot of opinions and lots of thoughts always running through my mind. I would say people are typically drawn to me because I'm a really good listener and I like to hear people out or understand where they're coming from and provide the best advice that I can give. I do find myself in the position of giving advice quite frequently and so I figured starting a podcast might be a fun way to continue doing that. I'm hoping that this could be a really interactive space where you, as the listener, can ask me questions about dating, relationships, or just life in general. Sometimes reaching out for advice can feel very, very uncomfortable if you don't really want your friends or people close to you know to know that you're going through a tough situation. Sometimes it helps to just have a third-party opinion who may not be as connected to the dilemma or situation that you're facing. Email your questions to itotallygetthatpodcast at gmail.com and you just might hear your question answered on an upcoming episode. I feel like I could finally say I have entered the stages of true adulthood because I have started drinking coffee. (laughs) Um, I have honestly started drinking coffee at the start of many of my mornings. Not every day, thank goodness, so I'm not a complete maniac when it comes to being reliant on caffeine, but I'm probably on a pathway there because I really love just the boost that it gives me because I've been working some crazy hours lately. I've been traveling for work and I have just needed something to help me keep my eyes open and caffeine has really been doing the trick. And I'm so embarrassed to say that I've been going to Starbucks. Like, shame on me. There's probably so many other small mom and pop coffee shops that I could be going to, but Every morning, I'm always on a time crunch, and Starbucks is the only coffee place that's on the way to work, so I just swing by there and get my um, shaken espresso with two shots. Actually, no, it has three shots, which is probably really bad. (laughs) I don't know much about coffee, but if you know about coffee, like, let me know if that's going to give me a heart attack. It probably will. That's probably why I get such a good rush off of it. Um, but anyway, I, I've been drinking coffee a lot and (laughs) I just feel so embarrassed to say that because I don't know, I feel like some people make drinking coffee a part of their personality and I don't get it. I'm just like, okay, maybe you're just that boring (laughs) that you have to make liking iced coffee part of your personality whatever. Maybe I'm being too much of a hater. Um, welcome to my world. But I, I just feel so basic saying that I never thought I would be in this position, but here I am, um, (laughs) on track to adulthood because I finally drink coffee. Um, 
But honestly, nobody is honest about the side effects of drinking coffee, which is why I have a bone to pick with some of y'all because every single time I drink coffee, I literally have to take a dump. It just goes right through me and it's the worst thing if I am not working from home that day because the moment I step foot in the office, I grab my poopery from my purse and I run straight to a stall so I can take a dump. And honestly, thank God for poopery because it really saves you in a public setting. If you don't know what poopery is, it's basically like a, um, it's a solution. I think it has like, it's like an oil-based fragrance solution and you do little spritzy spritz on the water in the toilet and it creates this layer that basically traps the scent of your poop when it hits the water. So the smell doesn't like um fill the air in your stall so it's really really nice honestly i think everyone should keep it in their purse guys you could keep it in your pocket it's literally like it's kind of like the size of a chapstick just a little bit longer so you can really be discreet about it but i make sure i have that every single time i take coffee with me on the way to work because it just goes right through you and honestly Maybe some people don't experience this because they drink coffee so often that their body is just used to it. But I feel like my body just goes into shock. It's probably like, whoa, we've never had this much caffeine before. Like, we need to get this out of our system. I don't know. I don't know the science behind it. I was never good at science. But anyway, I'm just... (laughs) I'm just upset that there is such a side effect when it comes to drinking something so delicious. And I hate that I've become so basic because I really shouldn't be going to Starbucks out of all the places. There's so many cute little shops around my area, but you know, I just don't have the time to be able to go there. And of course, it's me being upset that I sound basic (laughs) when I was part of a sorority in college. Like that's the most basic you can get. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I've been, I've been drinking coffee and I'm, I don't know how to feel about it. So if you have any tips on how I can, I don't know, manage having to go poo after drinking coffee, let me know because I would really love to hear about it. I mentioned that I was part of a sorority. (laughs) That feels so icky to say. I don't know why. It just feels cringe. Well, no, I take that back. I do know why. I feel cringe about it because there's just such a racist history tied to Greek organizations. And I do know that there are black sororities and fraternities that exist, but they exist because black people were not welcome into Greek organizations because the intention for these social organizations was to uh, only include people that fit their mold of the ideal person, you know, so like coming from a certain um, socioeconomic background, looking a certain way, um, having specific interests. And if you didn't fit that cookie mold, then you were not welcome into those organizations. So I will say, I, I think that if if I had gone to an HBCU, um, I would have 
I think I probably still would have rushed, but of course it would have been such a different experience. So anyway, I, I decided to rush. And for those of you that don't know, I went to a very small school and uh, it honestly felt like being in high school again. I'm pretty sure it was the same amount of students uh, that went to my high school. I want to say there were maybe around 2,500, and that might be pushing it. I don't even know if it was that many, but everyone knew everyone's business. Um, if you dated someone, chances are the person sitting next to you in class dated them or their roommate dated them. Like It was just such a messy web of drama all the time, and <laughs> that was an interesting experience, but I wanted to rush because I felt like this would be a good way to make connections. So I ended up joining an organization and the women honestly were incredible. I met so many just ambitious and compassionate and just wonderful people. But I will say Greek life definitely did attract um, very interesting types of people as well. Not all of them were the best. And I cringe thinking back to um, my my participation in a sorority because I feel like I was part of problematic practices because while I was in this sorority, um, there was one year where a group of students and this group of students, they identified as people of color, they wanted to start a um, sorority that was a diverse sorority. They wanted a sorority that basically gave women of color at the university a seat at the table to feel included because they didn't feel like that was already um, an option um, when it came to Greek life. And I remember just feeling so supportive of what they were doing. I really wanted to see see this move forward because if I had had that opportunity to rush an organization that, you know, when I step into the room, I see people that look like me. I see people who might have shared experiences with me because, you know, I'm an Afro-Latina woman and being a person of color at a predominantly white institution is something that honestly if you're white you will just never understand but there are so many challenges that come with being a person of color in um, that type of setting and i was so upset when so many of my my sorority sisters were against these women trying to start a new organization it's wild to me thinking that this was not even like five years ago that this happened um, like, it feels like this was just yesterday, and it was such a dramatic thing. People, I remember people saying, well, why do they need to be around people that look like them? If I had to, if I was worried about that, then I, I wouldn't be able to live my life. And I was like, okay, Jessica, like, okay, her name was not Jessica, just FYI. <laughs> but it's like, okay, girl, like, you walk into a room and everyone always looks like you. You're blonde, you're blue-eyed, whatever. Like, everyone at this institution pretty much looks like you. When you're someone who has brown skin, who has different hair, um, you know, has braids like me, or maybe wears their hair naturally, curly, whatever that may be, 
it already makes us stick out like a sore thumb. And so when you see someone who you can share um, specific experiences with and someone who you can identify with, it just makes you feel so much safer and you just feel a lot more comfortable. Like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like you just feel um, there's like a unity. (laughs) I feel like you just have to be a person of color to get it. But I just remember sitting through those conversations and feeling my blood boil because I didn't know how to articulate what I was feeling to shut down these problematic point of views that my sisters had. And I, I remember, I think there were maybe two other women in the organization who were also on the same page as me, and they were vocal about it. And I was so appreciative of that because um, I think they were, they had a pretty good social standing. So they had a lot of respect from the women in that organization. And thinking back to those experiences just makes me feel so disappointed because Being part of an organization that is not open to allowing others to have an opportunity to feel included, to feel welcome, to feel like they have a seat at the table, to feel like they're invited to the party, or even if they're invited to the party, like they have, I don't know. I I just, I feel like it's just embarrassing. It's so embarrassing to think about and like, now that I now that we're a little bit older and we've all taken, you know, different pathways in life, those same people who had that point of view on the women that wanted to start a diverse sorority are the same women who have pretty problematic views now. And it just, I mean, it all makes sense, but it's just upsetting because it's like, wow, I, I can't believe like <laughs> I associated myself with people like that. But then at the same time, there were women who I really identified with who were just absolutely incredible people. Um, So I struggle with um, reflecting on my experience in Greek life. I currently sit on the executive council for my sorority. (laughs) It's kind of funny to say that, lol, as I like cringe that I'm still part of this organization but the reason I'm I'm still active is because I wanted to be a voice for women of color because I noticed that especially during the George Floyd protests and um, when police brutality was becoming a bigger topic across the United States I noticed that my organization wasn't publicly taking action or making any steps forward to acknowledge racism um, in within the university, within um, the country, just in general, they weren't doing anything. It was kind of like they wanted to be hush-hush until everything died down. But um, jokes on them because <laughs> now people are a lot more heated about this. Uh, more people are educating themselves about the history of racism and the effect that it has on marginalized communities. And so I remember just being so frustrated and and embarrassed, honestly, because I was seeing other organizations publicly taking a stand um, against racism. And I know like performative activism is also a thing, but for the most part, like 
I think it still made a difference to see Greek organizations publicly saying that, you know, they wanted to take steps to dismantle racism within the university and the culture of that academic institution. So I made, um, in the alumni group that we had for the organization, I made a post and it was honestly just me reflecting about what was going on across the world in our um, within our organization, within the university, because I wanted to know if there were any other people who um, were part of the organization that also wanted to get involved. Like, I just wanted to know how can I help? You know, as, as someone who may have a little bit more um, resources or ways that I can support undergraduate students, I just wanted to connect with others who might have that same desire. So I just remember just posting um, some questions, some reflective questions about like, what is it, what is it that, can, that we can do? How can I support students that are there now? How can I make sure that nobody has to experience um, racism in the ways that I experienced it when I was at the university? And I remember just being challenged by uh, some, some women at first because they were aghast that racism still takes place in um, the year of 2020. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't have had to relive a traumatic experience, but of course, I just, I provided an example of racism that I had experienced when I was, I think it was a freshman or a sophomore in college. And then they were like, oh, okay, I get it, which is a problem within itself. But um, it just started a huge conversation. And of course, there's always going to be conflicting views. Um, a lot of people, you know, are on different sides when it comes to whether or not um, the organization should publicly state what they feel about police brutality, what they feel about racism, um, how they feel about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And at that point, I was just so fed up because I was like, we are at the point now where we just need to acknowledge these things and we need to take action because we cannot, we cannot tell others or try to present ourselves as being broad-minded women when we're not even willing to make sure that the women of color in the organization are feeling supported, but also that um, other Greek organizations are being supported and have the resources and have alumni, um, alumni support, whether that's just um, having numbers to back them up, whether it's financial support, whether it's hosting trainings, whatever that may be. And it was just wild to me to see how much of an issue that became. And so long story short, I decided to take on the position as the diversity, equity, and inclusion chair for um, the alumni side of my organization. And the more I think about it, the more like a little bit frustrated I get because this type of work always falls on women of color. Women of color are literally the backbone of this country. I don't care what anybody says. Like that is so true. Women of color are just so incredible, so resilient, and they're just so powerful and strong. And I admire the work that 
women are doing today and the work that women have done in the past when it comes to really, really controversial topics like this. So I decided to take on this role because I knew if I didn't do it, then nobody else would. (laughs) And that's really sad, but I'm also pretty passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a woman of color. But I, I just feel, um, overwhelmed because I feel like Greek life, maybe now the intention is changing a little bit, but there are just so many racist practices embedded in Greek life in general. Like just thinking about the fact that you have to be chosen by an organization Um, Like, they have to see that you are fit for their organization in order for you to join. (laughs) I don't know. It just feels kind of weird to me. I kind of wish that there were other ways to be socially involved that were a little bit more acceptable at the university. Because since it was such a small school... Like, if you weren't a part of social, of, like, a Greek organization, then you basically were really, really, really diminishing your chances of having a very good social life. Because when you're a part of Greek life, you get invited to parties, people know who you are, um, you just have a little bit higher of a status. And when you're not a part of that, you have to rely on other things, whether that's, like, sports or... Um, I don't know, being someone that's really, really smart or someone that's involved in other ways like student government or whatever that may be. So I think that's why most students chose to rush because they didn't want to feel left out. (sighs) So I don't know where I was going with this. (laughs) Um, That was just such a long rant. But I'm hopeful to see where Greek life goes in the future at my university um but at the same time I'm also just really exhausted because I haven't really seen much progress and I noticed that again and again and again this work is always pushed onto women of color I feel like specifically black women black women seem to carry this type of work and I think there are allies out there who are interested in trying to support but sometimes they don't take the initiative and that's literally the opposite of what they should be doing and so if you're listening to this and you are an ally (laughs) take this as your sign to be a lot more supportive of your um, BIPOC community because we need you and your support matters because people people might be more inclined to listen to you as an ally um than listening to us as people of color which is really sad to say but i mean we live in a we live in a society where um white supremacy is um very predominant over our culture and so that is just the case unfortunately (music) 
I was so hesitant to talk about this experience because I'm worried about, (laughs) I shouldn't be worried, but I do worry about, you know, I'm sure there's people listening to this who I went to school with or who is part of the organization that I'm also a part of that might be offended. But at the same time, this is my lived experience that I'm talking about. And if it makes you uncomfortable, think about how it made me feel in that moment and think about what we can do to make a difference or make a change so that nobody has to experience the things that I experienced as a student less than like five years ago or five years ago, however long it was. (laughs) Um, So the reason why I feel a little bit icky icky about being part of a sorority is because, again, like I said, a lot of uh, racism is just rooted in the culture of Greek life. For example, I remember there were quite a few party themes that were based off of like um, a culture. So, for example, um, for Cinco de Mayo, they would have parties called Cinco de Drinco. Or people would dress up as if they were like a gangster and wearing thing like baggy clothes or wearing bandanas and dressing in an attire that like they know nothing about, um, mocking a lifestyle they know absolutely nothing about. And it, it felt so uncomfortable, but nobody really made um, made a splash about it. Like no one, um, really acknowledged that it was problematic that we were having these types of, um, having these type of types of functions. And just thinking back, I wish I had maybe been a little bit more vocal about how uncomfortable those types of, um, themes made me feel. And I think, Some people may feel as though having those types of party themes are not an issue, but when your own culture is being appropriated time and time again, it becomes exhausting and it's just, it's offensive. Um, And I wish that, I wish that um, I wasn't, I wasn't a part of it because me being silent is me being part of the problem. And not surrounding myself with people who also recognize that it was a problem and that those types of parties should not be a thing um, is partially my fault. <laughs> and so I wish I wish I had made a little bit better decisions back then. But as a woman of color, I feel like, I mean, all of my life, I have been around predominantly white communities And you just kind of learn to assimilate to white standards so that you can fit in or so like you just won't stand out and cause any waves within your community. So by that, I mean, like, for example, I have pretty um, kinky hair. I have very, very um, curly hair and I have always been so ashamed to wear my hair natural. Like I have never worn my hair natural in public and I'm still trying to maybe get to that point one day, but I 
I just feel so embarrassed and ashamed about it because I just, I know how white people react to seeing something that's different. And I don't want to put myself in that feeling of discomfort. Even if I feel like beautiful, it still is, it's so, it feels kind of degrading because even when I had my hair straightened or I had my hair in braids, people are always mesmerized by how the texture of my hair is different or how it looks different and feel like they have the right to touch my hair or pet me like I'm some sort of zoo animal or some sort of exhibit. And so in college, I I did wear my hair in braids a lot, but I wish I had maybe used being in that new setting as a way to express um, who I am and not feel like I needed to hide a part of my identity and um, that I needed to like dull my blackness in order to um, feel welcome in that community of people. For example, I remember when I, I got a weave for the first time in college when I turned 21, I think. So I was, I think it was my senior year of college. And I remember people just giving me compliments left and right. Like, oh my gosh, you look so beautiful. Wow, why don't you wear your hair like this more often? And it was just, it was compliments up the wazoo because my hair was straight. And while the attention, sure, it's nice having people tell you that you're pretty or that you look great. But at the same time, it made me feel so uncomfortable because it was like, well, why am I only pretty when I have hair that looks like yours? Why don't I look pretty when I have my hair in braids or if I have a little bit more of a protective hairstyle? And I don't know, just experiencing that from um, the organization that I was a part of time and time again was just was not fun and I hated having to feel like I needed to assimilate all the time and I mean another example of um, some racism that I experienced was or just like microaggressions which is also like a branch of racism but um, <laughs> I remember when whenever it was time to plan for um, weekend functions and by functions I mean like parties with other organizations or sports teams whatever that may be um, it always was so awkward because so many women did not want to have any functions with very specific organizations and groups of people and it wasn't ever said, but it was very obvious. It was always the people of color. If it was a team or an organization that had predominantly people of color, many of the women in the organization would say, oh, I don't want to party with them. Or I don't want to like socialize with them. They're really weird. They're not cool. Um, they just give off um, different vibes. I don't like the music that they play. And as someone who is a person of color, I remember just feeling so livid because I knew why they didn't want to socialize with those communities. And honestly, I was like, I would much rather listen to hip hop and the music that they play rather than hearing chain smokers for the 20th time in one night. Like. <laughs> Oh,
but thinking back to those those times, like I remember too, we would have this um, every semester. It was called like a lip sync challenge, and each organization would organize a dance with all of their members, and it was a contest between everyone. So the goal was to you know win the contest that was judged by university staff, and. I, I just remember every single time one organization performed, people were always, and by people I mean women, white women who were part of the organization, would make just the meanest comments, would, um, they would, the way that they would describe these women is that they were too sexual or they were, um, they were being quote unquote too much, um, and what they were doing was just out of line or whatever. And honestly, it was not out of line. These people just like, we have rhythm. Sorry that people of color have rhythm and <laughs> know how to dance, you know? Sorry we're not doing like uh, Hannah Montana's hoedown throwdown. Um, but it it was experiences like that. And, and I think explaining these experiences as an individual moment might not sound like a big deal, but when you experience these types of things over and over and over and over again, it just begins to like chip at your soul and just make you more and more frustrated. And I think these examples that I'm explaining to you are why I feel cringe. <laughs> um, I feel like it's cringy to say I was part of a Greek organization because during my time there, um, the organization that I was a part of was part of the problem. Um, they, a lot of the women were part of um, the community of students that did not want to welcome other students of color because it was something different. It was going quote unquote, against the norm or against the grain. Um, people of color were always seen as being problematic or too aggressive or complaining too much when really so many students were just fighting for um, having inclusive opportunities, having the chance to, you know, have a Greek organization that's for women of color to feel included um, among a community that's so exclusive. I'm not saying that I, I hate these women or these women are just the worst women on the planet because of the experiences I had with them. Because I do think that you can grow from, you can grow from who you were in the past. You know, like you can educate yourself. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen women that I went to school with take the time to educate themselves about um, racism and oppression and white supremacy over the past few years and just become amazing advocates for the black community and for people of color. And I just wish that more women that I was part of this organization with would do the same thing. I wouldn't feel so ashamed, I guess you could say, about being part of this organization if um, more more people took accountability. But on the plus side, <laughs> I did learn so much from so many different women of like 
who what types of people I want to surround myself with versus what types of people I will definitely not waste my time um, interacting with. Like now the friends that I have are just, ugh, I just, my heart melts when I think about them because they're just so wonderful. Um, being around like-minded people has become such a priority for me in my life because when I feel comfortable or I feel like I can celebrate my blackness or that I'm around people who will embrace who I am as an Afro-Latina woman, it feels amazing and it just feels like such a relief. It feels like a weight is lifted off my shoulders and I'm so proud of like the woman that I've become. And honestly, I think part of it is because of, sadly, these traumatic experiences that I had in college because I learned how to address these issues. I learned who I, what types of people I value and what types of people I need to keep in my circle in order for me to feel safe, in order for me to feel celebrated and feel like I can be who I am without any type of fear or discomfort. And that is seriously such a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. If you're somebody listening who I maybe went to school with or is also part of the same organization, um, again, this is not to make you feel um, like I'm trying to attack you or make you feel like you suck. Um, but I hope it, I hope you at least take away like the impact that act your actions have on others when even if you did not agree with um, racism or microaggressions that were taking place at that point in time by you not saying anything is also you being part of the problem. And so I'm hoping that if anything, you learned something from this. Um, I think that people are always growing and people are, are always changing. And as long as you put in the effort to um, continue learning about the about this topic, um, about racism, about white supremacy, about um, dismantling racism and all of that, I think... Um, that is a step in the right direction. But yeah, I, I hope that this isn't taken the wrong way. If anything, this is just me sharing my experience and sharing how it's impacted my life. So this was a bit of a heavier topic today, but it's something that I've been wanting to get off my chest because I, I just... It's very therapeutic to talk about this, but also I, I want to share my experience because I'm sure there might be other people who can relate to what I'm talking about, or there's people who can learn from the impact that their actions may have had on um, a person of color. And honestly, I just want to make a difference in any way that I can, in any way, shape, or form, even if it's just one person who has some type of takeaway from this episode that is okay with me. <laughs> that will make my little heart very, very happy. Thank you for tuning in today. I always, always, always appreciate you taking time to listen to my beautiful voice. <laughs> and with that, I will talk to y'all next time. Bye.